All right, here's the, uh, the trick question of the, uh, the morning. You, uh, you see what I have here, right? A pair of scissors, good. Now, in this pair of scissors, which is the, uh, which is the most important part? Which blade is more important? The, 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 this blade, the top blade, or the, the bottom blade? Is there, does it, uh, which one's the most important blade? You think the top? Some say the top. Some say the bottom. Both. There you go. Both. Yeah, because uh, to have a pair of scissors, you need two blades, right? And if you didn't, if you didn't have two, if you took them apart, you'd have two knives. You wouldn't have a pair of scissors. And we, the same way uh, that works with how Jesus engages with his creation in both invitation and challenge. Uh, There is both the ways that Jesus makes a a broad, universal invitation to any and all, no matter what, to come unto Him. But His invitation also includes a challenge to each that come to Him, that if they accept that invitation, then the challenge is to live in a totally different way of life. And you can't separate the two. You, you, you can't make one more important than the other. They make a coherent whole of invitation and challenge. And in our day and age and in the church, um, I think here and a lot in the United States, we make a lot about invitation. And wanting to be sure that we know the, the grace of God that is a, a universal invitation to any and to all and Oftentimes, though, we forget the challenge and the requirements of following after Jesus. And in the church, what we can do is we can have a whole bunch of stuff going on and simply invite people. And say, yeah, you can come on Sunday morning. There are classes going on. You can participate in those. There's all kinds of opportunities throughout the the week to, to serve those in need around us. But it's all invitation. And never the accountability of challenge, of saying, no, this is something that is necessary for you to do to grow in your walk with Christ. And in our passage today, Jesus is going to combine these two into the coherent whole of invitation and challenge and show us how the the living church, the church that is walking with its living Savior, is one who responds in humble, active submission to God's invitation and His challenge. The living church receives the invitation of God and takes on the challenge that God gives to us. Our passage um, will be in Matthew 22, um, starting with verse 1. It's found on page 803 in your pew Bible. Let's, uh, Let's pray together. Gracious God, continue to open our hearts, minds, and souls to hear from you. 
Um, help us to, to set aside the distractions. Help us to, to put down the defenses so that we might receive what you would have for us this day. Both the invitation and the challenge of your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right. Matthew 22, and this is again Jesus talking with the religious leaders of the day. that were been walking through um, the ways that Jesus interacts with the religious leaders in between um, Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday. A lot of, of uh, material that Matthew has that Jesus teaches in that time. In a sense, sort of saying that these are his last teachings and he, he's going to really give it unfettered um, to us. All right, uh, Matthew 22, verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who'd been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who've been invited, Look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Now that may not excite you about oxen and fatted calves being slaughtered, but it was real exciting in that day. So it it was uh, a good invitation. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot. Throw them into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, a little more challenge to say thanks be to God on a passage like that one, isn't it? And we'll, we'll get what's shocking about this and what, uh, about this passage is the stark judgment of God. And we'll, we'll get there. But, but that becomes so shocking, and I think part of that is because, and I have to own this, that I don't do enough talking about the judgment of God. And maybe in, in the church today, we don't talk about the judgment of God. And if you read through these passages, keep reading the next few chapters, Jesus brings that home over and over again about the judgment of God. But we can sort of get shocked by that. That takes all our attention. And, and we forget here, the breadth and the uh, inclusive universal invitation that the king has made. Now, the king represents God. And the people represent people. 
particularly at first, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to Israel, he's talking to the people of faith who were following Yahweh. And, and the king is the one sending his son to, to usher in this wedding banquet. And God's people, they refuse God's invitation. And, but actually, the invitation is made three times in this passage. Three times the king offers an invitation to the people that are around him. It's often uh, what would happen in the first century is you'd have, you sort of have it today with weddings. You know, people send a postcard like six months before their wedding to say save the date and then send a formal invitation later. Well, that was commonplace in the first century because uh, folks, uh, the, the master would send uh, everybody, hey, we're going to have a wedding feast, we're going to have this, this banquet for my son and I want um, you to come and it'll be around this general time, but you know, in those days you had to depend on the weather and the crops and all the rest before you could uh, set for sure what the menu was going to be and get everything prepared, but then once it was prepared, then you sent out a second invitation. It's, it's upon us, so come on. Put everything aside. So there's plenty of notice and uh, plenty of time for people to come. Well, when they sent the first set of slaves to, to tell folks to come, they, they responded to the first invitation. Ah, uh, you know, I'm really not interested. You know, thanks, but you know, no thanks. Well, what's absolutely insidious in this passage is that the king doesn't cut their heads off then. I mean, there's no self-respecting first century king that's going to send out an invitation to people and then let people just sort of snub their nose at it. But the king that's represented here, he receives their negative response, and he goes on and prepares the banquet. And then he sends the second invitation, sending the slaves out again to the same people. Come, the wedding's ready, the banquet is ready, the feast is upon us. Man, it's smelling good. Come on, eat, drink, let's celebrate together. I mean, what you, you see here is the patient kindness of the king and the insolent stubbornness of the people. And so then, when he's rebuffed again, then God sends out the third, even more universal, complete, um, total invitation. All right, slaves, just go out highways and byways. Uh, go out to the good and the bad and bring them in for this celebration, for this feast together. And then we're told that a whole crowd comes and gathers and that the place is filled. Now, I want you to notice this invitation. That just how inclusive and universal and complete is this invitation. And you can't miss this part of the passage that the king is some crazy king who responds by offering his invitation over and over again. And, and note that the invitation is to a party. You know, a place with food and, and drink and people and, and fun. I mean, the, the king isn't inviting them to a labor camp. You know, he's not inviting them to something that is a drudgery. He's inviting them to a celebration. That's why we frame and celebrate our walk with God in terms of celebration. That we, we celebrate God no matter our circumstances. 
And what this invitation is, this, this feast that is upon us, is an invitation to any and to all to walk with God in all of life. It is a broad, outlandish, patient, generous invitation to come and walk in this life with God. To come to the party. And what, what we find when we walk with God, and, and you, you talk to folks who have walked with God for a long time, and I can share with you my own experience of, of seeking to walk with God, that, that I'm, He teaches us how to live. You know, he teaches us how to love. He, he begins to, to reveal to, to us our own selfishness, and he, he breaks us loose from that brokenness. So that we can live in love with others and there find the fullness of life. It doesn't free us. It doesn't free us from the pain and brokenness and evil that is within us or all around us. It doesn't free us from experiencing that. Of being betrayed. Of grieving. But it frees us from being defined by grief and loss and pain and betrayal. It leads us into the ways not only of being forgiven, but then of living into forgiveness and the freedom and joy of life that comes from walking with God. It is God's desire. So the king sends three invitations for any and all to walk with Him in the fullness of life. There's an invitation. And then there's challenge. It's not just an, an invitation then to the come to the party and do whatever you want. It's not a, an invitation in a sense to, to get a, your, your ticket punched for heaven. And then go live your life on your own. I mean, you particularly see it with the, the guest that the king encounters at the party. As he's there at the party and encounters a guest that is not wearing the wedding robes. Now in those days often what would happen in those events is that the, the, get, the, the master would provide the wedding clothes for the person. And this person sort of snuck in. Didn't get the wedding clothes. Was inappropriately dressed. Decided he'd come to the party dressed in his own clothes. He'd come to the party on his own terms. He'd come to the party to celebrate it. You know, he liked the wine, he, he liked the food, but he wasn't going to wear the clothes. That's the challenge that Jesus issues with his invitation. The, the call is, is to receive the invitation to walk with God and then to walk with him throughout all of life. There is no separation of Jesus as Savior and or Lord. It goes back to the scissors. You, know, you, you can't have Jesus as Savior and not have Him as Lord. You just, if you do that, then you don't have Jesus anymore. You, you break those two blades apart, you no longer have a pair of scissors In this part of the passage, Jesus is talking to the church. 
The first part, he was talking particularly to the Pharisees, you know, who resisted the invitation. Now he's talking to the church who accepted the invitation but can show up on their own terms instead of Jesus' terms. Who, who sort of like the idea of eternal fire insurance. You know, just, well, I'll be rescued by association with others. I'll just blend in with the crowd. I'll go to the party on my own terms. What Dietrich Bonhoeffer called back in the 1930s in Nazi Germany, the Christians in that day who were buying into Hitler's Third Reich said they were living in cheap grace. They were just taking Jesus as Savior but not following Him as Lord. Now, this is sort of squirm time reading this passage. At least it was for me. Because it's not something that I focus on much either, as I, as I said. For it's the judgment of God that is being presented here. And it's presented in stark terms. I mean, bind his hand and feet, cast him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not a subtle difference. That is the, the, the judgment of God that, that those who, that folks will get what they want in the end. If they want Jesus, then they'll follow Him and they'll give themselves to Him. As, as Karen said last week, it's, it's repentance, it's turning and walking with Him. And if you want Jesus, you'll get Him. But if you really don't want Him, then you won't get Him. If you really just sort of want a little bit of His blessing, then that's not what Jesus gives. He gives Himself all. He is Lord of all or not Lord at all. So what do you do with that? What do we do with this, particularly this last passage that is meant particularly for the church of one who wanted to show up but didn't want to wear the clothes that the Master had provided? Whatever you do, don't do what that guest did. This is actually the loudest statement in the passage is what the guest did. When the king approached him, what did he say? Nothing. He was silenced. You know, it almost makes you want to say, just say something. Say you're sorry. You know, say, I made a mistake. You know, say, oh, you're right. I'll go back and get him. But he was just silenced, caught in his notion of accepting the invitation but not the challenge. As you hear this passage, it's a great time of self-reflection, of talking to God. Where is my heart? Do I like the invitation, but I don't want the challenge? Do I like the idea of Jesus as Savior, but I don't want you as Lord? And none of us necessarily would be so bold as to say that, but maybe we would live it. And... and we don't even know really our own hearts very well. But God does. 
Talk to God. Ask Him, where's my heart? Show it to me. Am, Am I walking with you or am I coming to the party in my own clothes? And listen, I mean, in some ways, the very fact you cry out to God is a sign of the Spirit within you. As Paul says in Romans 8, it's the Holy Spirit within you that enables you to cry out to Abba, Father. And if you're crying out to God, even if it's in anguish, even if it's in fear, to a passage like this, to a word from Jesus like this, that you cry out to Abba, Father, help me in this, Probably a sign of the Spirit within you pointing you to Him. And then also look at how you see the Spirit at work in you changing you. See how the the clothes that the Master has given you are having impact on your hands and your feet and your own mouth. How the, the clothes are starting to, to form you. How it's changing you in the direction of love and peace and joy and righteousness and goodness. And know, know this. As you look and you see, you, you look at your own life today and you look at your life ten years ago or five years ago or even last year and you see the changes that the Spirit has been making. That He's been bringing you more and more into the party. Know that those actions don't earn your invitation. They are a result of your invitation. They are a result of you receiving the invitation and receiving the challenge. It's the living church. It's the living church that hears God's call that receives his invitation and takes his challenge. And they're they're one coherent whole to be taken as a whole and lived into for the rest of our lives. Now, it's it's a challenging word, especially that last sentence that Jesus gives, isn't it? Many are called, but few are chosen. You know, to Jesus, the way Jesus taught, you know, he said the, 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 the road is narrow that leads to life and few are those that take it. In, in Jesus, what he taught, the church was always a minority movement. It, it, was, it was never a huge bastion of people that came running to follow him when the invitation and the challenge were made clear. Now, when he was giving out bread, there was a lot of people. But those numbers dwindled when the invitation and the challenge was made clear. Let's take just a moment of silence. Just in our own heart. Pray. Ask God, show us. Show me and show us our hearts. And, and, and maybe we're at the party and maybe there's some more clothes he's calling us to put on. Maybe we're not even at the party. 
that we've been running from God, neglecting the invitation. Maybe today is the day that you receive the invitation and show up. It could be you've been in, in church for 20, 30 years, but you've been wearing your own clothes the whole time. And today is the day that Jesus reveals that to you. And you not only receive the invitation, but you take the challenge to live with Him in the fullness of life. Let's pray. Dear Father, we ask that you would be speaking to us in this moment. That you would be revealing to us in this moment where where we are in this story of Jesus. And how you are leading us individually and corporately to not only accept the invitation, but to take the challenge of being your people, to to live into the fullness of the party that you've invited us to and that you challenge us through. Speak to us and lead us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.